Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. I said at the beginning of Monday's show that I just needed a fun week. I just needed a chance to chill. The last four years have been a lot. The last year of the pandemic has been a lot. And I've been doing some fun interviews this week. I had Paul Rugg on Monday's show. If you haven't heard that yet, he is the voice of Ned on Earth to Ned. That was a really fun conversation, one I really enjoyed. And today's show is one that I am super excited about as well. Paul Sun Hyung Lee is my guest today. He stars on a show that if you came in for Paul, you probably know. I'm sure you know. But if you're one of my regular listeners, you may not know. It's called Kim's Convenience. It's a CBC show. It's produced up in Canada. And it runs on Netflix here in the States and, you know, around the world. And it is a great show. My wife and I discovered it at the beginning of the pandemic. And it just got us through a lot of those early spring days when things were really tough. And, you know, we needed a laugh. So Kim's Convenience provided that. And Paul is the star of that show. He plays Mr. Kim, Appa. And it's a story about a Korean family that moved from Korea to Toronto They own a convenience store and live above the store. And the parents have two grown children that are in their early 20s. And the show looks at that dynamic really closely of, you know, parents and older kids. And that was fascinating. It's also just a really funny show. It's a show that, uh, you know, you fall in love with all the characters and really get invested in their lives. And there are four seasons up on Netflix right now. If you're in Canada... New episodes just started running on CBC Tuesdays at 8 Eastern, and we're going to get those soon, I think, in the spring sometime here in the States. But what's fascinating is season five of Kim's Convenience was all shot during COVID, and Paul and I are going to talk about all the different COVID protocols that were in place to keep everybody safe, to keep the show going. Uh, It's pretty wild, just all the things they went through. So that's a big part of the conversation today, all about Kim's Convenience. If you haven't checked it out yet, please go watch it. It's on Netflix, and it's great. I love it. It's all I can say. But Paul and I also talk about another role that he had that has been big pandemic binge-watching, and that's in The Mandalorian Season 2. He plays Captain Carson Teva, uh, which is an X-Wing pilot. And uh, if you don't know, Paul is a huge Star Wars fan. He's a big Star Wars cosplayer, and uh, he's been making costumes and and props and all this for years. And so it was a dream job for him. We talk all about getting that role and dressing for the part and, you know, all that fun stuff. So that's coming up as well. And he's also, frankly, a nerd. And I mean that in the best sense. I felt, you know, a kindred spirit there. He collects all sorts of cool toys and, uh, you know, old things like that. And we talk about collecting things and you know having kids and collecting which is something that i'm figuring out with my seven and four year old make sure you check out kim's convenience streaming on netflix and the mandalorian season two streaming on disney plus here it is my conversation with paul sun young lee so i want to start by just asking about this you know this strange quarantine period these last 10 11 months whatever it's been i guess it's coming up on now what has that experience been like for you It's been kind of surreal, like it has been for everybody, really. Uh, When it first started out, it was kind of, for me, I mean, I'm always a bit of a homebody anyway. So if I'm not working, I'm at home anyways in my basement, sort of working on costumes or props or just sort of noodling around and stuff. 
And so when the the first sort of shutdown, the lockdown notice happened, not much was different for me except that all the people that I love the most were stuck in the house with me, right? <laughs> so it was kind of nice, you know. I felt like the family dog because like everybody was around all of a sudden. So it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Good. Yeah. And it was lovely. But then as it sort of went on, and we discovered that okay, this is something that we're going to have to start to uh, to address in terms of like the lack of space and and the usability of the of the space that we have. You know, that, that was neat at first because it's like, okay, we're going to get reorganized. We're going to uh, become efficient. Uh, this back room that's always been just sort of a mess where we just sort of threw things into as as uh, a lazy way of storing things. You know, we, we got everything in order. So we cleaned that out and we repurposed and redesigned rooms to make them more functional. Nice. And so that was really neat. And then, then you sort of get into that siege mentality. We're like, okay, we're in it and everybody's home and everybody's pretty cool. I mean, we've been very fortunate because none of us have been directly affected by it. Yeah. All of our yeah. friends, all of our family, no one's ill. So this is just something that's sort of at bay. And, you know, everybody's a little bit anxious at first, especially when you're going out grocery shopping and, and nobody knew what was going on. And like we were sanitizing everything right. to the end right. degree. And then, you know, you just sort of you settle into that sort of that pattern of, OK, we're just this is this is the new normal and we're going to get through this. And you're kind of hopeful that it's only going to last for like another three months. Um, but as the reality of it sort of settled in, you're like, oh, no, this is this is the long haul. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. summer definitely helped, though. Like being able to go outside right. helped a yeah. lot. And um, uh, I think for everybody's mental health, it was great. And then it looked like we were turning the corner because all the, the social distancing was, was working. The curve was flattening. Everything was going great. And then it just that second wave hit. And I think it's just... It, that one was the toughest one. Like everybody knew a second wave was coming. Everybody knew it was going to be harder. But what people didn't realize was that the fatigue, COVID fatigue was going to set in, you know, that the animosity arose, that, that people were just sick of it. And just like be, becoming like almost aggressively fighting against having to wear a mask or having a social distance. And, you know, I'm going to go out partying. I don't believe any of this crap anyways. And, right. and not to do that. I did that, <laughs> but it's like, that's the mentality. And so, when you're at home and you're following the rules, which is what we've been doing, it gets frustrating because you look at it and you go, this is way longer than it needs to be because people didn't have the patience to just ride it out and people weren't doing it for others. They were just thinking to themselves and going, well, I don't believe this. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to be inconvenienced anymore yeah. and just sort of went out and the virus doesn't care. Right. Virus right. just doesn't care whether you're sick of it or this or that, like the virus is going to get you if you, if you don't follow the rules. And, that's what's happened. So we're here. I feel bad for my kids more than anybody else, just because I can work from home. My wife can work from home. I mean, I can work from home in the limited capacity in terms of voice work and stuff like that. Yeah. But my kids, they, they feel it the worst. So it's uh, it's been tough for them, especially my youngest. How old are your kids? Uh, my eldest is 16 and uh, my youngest is 11. Okay. And uh, okay. it's hard for him. It's yeah. really hard for him. So Yeah, missing the social stuff. That's... Uh... That's huge. Have they been yeah. doing uh, schooling all remotely, like all Zoom and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So my eldest, he's in high school. So like, you know, being plugged in and, and doing things through a screen is like second nature for him. Like he doesn't care, right? Like he's he's linked with all his friends, right. Discord, yeah. to <laughs> you know, all these uh, messaging systems and stuff like that. So he's fine. My youngest, um, a few of his friends are, are, are sort of, they're becoming more capable now in terms of having their own phones and being able to text, but it's still relatively new for him and his peer group. So a lot of stuff is vetted through parents still. And he hates, 
hates with a passion virtual learning. Yeah. He needs to be there. And it was tough because the beginning of the year, he was at school. It was in-person learning. Mm. They wore masks, mm. um, but he was thriving. Like he, he just needs to be there. And now with everything locked down again, uh, and he's been at home now for since Christmas break, uh, the edges are starting to fray on him again because he's just disinterested. Yeah. It's not as yeah. engaging. The kids aren't engaged. And he's got a fantastic teacher too, which is testament to why he's hung in for this long still. But it's, it, you know, the edges are starting to fray. Yeah. Well, I think even like with adults, you know, it's tough to be in a Zoom meeting for like an hour at a time and like oh. being a kid, you know, six hours, eight hours every day doing that. It's it's really tough. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. And it's that's you get eye fatigue and it, it's not natural. Like you think, oh, no, it's the same. It's not. It's so not like right. and my wife works via Zoom. And she hates it, too, because she's a sign language interpreter. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. For the deaf and hard, and hard of hearing. And it's just like it's brutal. Like it's just. It really does wear you down. Staring at a screen and having to interact with somebody uh, online is just not how we're built as human beings to yeah. to uh, communicate with each other. So yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad you guys have uh, have not been affected by it personally, at least yet. That's uh, that's good yeah. news, and you know, staying safe. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you all about Kim's Convenience because it's a show that mm-hmm. uh, my wife founded at the beginning of the pandemic, probably like April or so. And we just binged the first four seasons and just like loved it. And we're so happy that uh, that a fifth season came back and that you guys were kind of able to work under uh, COVID protocols and all. But, you know, I've, I've been yeah. looking at a lot of the behind the scenes photos of just, you know, all the crew masked up and face shields and the whole thing. And, you know, I'm really curious, like, what was it like going back to work and just, you know, how were things different <laughs> this year than in years past? Well, you know, it was, we didn't even know if we were going to go again because uh, we usually start filming around May. Uh-huh. And around yeah. that time was kind of the height of, of the first wave. And so like our, our season got pushed. It was seriously up in the air. Like, are, are we going to do a season five or is it going to get scrapped because of COVID? And what happened was during that period of time, the, the producers got to work meticulously crafting the protocols that uh, we would use uh, during the time of COVID in able to work. And what they did was they called the information from all the different productions from all over the world that were shooting during the pandemic yeah, wow. and sort of taking the best of what they saw and, and modifying things that they, they thought they could use and learning from the mistakes of other productions that, you know, tried and then, you know, got shut down because of an outbreak on set or whatnot. And what they did was they crafted a living document that would change on a given notice if once new information about COVID sort of came through. So it was something that wasn't set in stone, but it had the flexibility to, to adapt and change as more information came in. And the goal of that document was really uh, to keep us all safe and working. And so it was different. Like working with these strict, strict protocols was, was hard. One of the hardest things I've I'd ever done, screenings. Like there's no tomorrow. Like you didn't get into the building unless you got, you had to fill out a form, pre-screening form. You had to have your temperature taken. Uh, the cast got tested twice a week. Uh-huh. Strict measures in terms of like the crew had a separate entrance in the cast. Uh, access to the set proper was limited to uh, departments that absolutely had to be on set, like camera crew, like the sound department. The, the actors had to take care of our own final touches for makeup and hair we had to take care of. Wow. Um, okay. And yeah, so like everything was broken down as a piecemeal. Of course, the PPE crew had to wear PPE 20, you know, the entire time they were on set. And right. so it's like not only masks, but face shields. 
Um, now, we didn't go as far as having to make everybody wear a gown and rubber gloves, uh, but there were hand sanitizing stations everywhere. Right. Oh, no, I mean, there were, there were some productions where it looked like they were working in, a, in, in like, with the Ebola or, oh, yeah. right. uh, <laughs> you know, in, in a medical, like a biohazard, like, medical facility where everybody had everything done up, in, like, including the covers for their shoes. Right. And as we learned more about it, the, we, we learned, you know, how it was transmitted, COVID was transmitted and stuff, you, you know, you could dial some of that back but uh we also employed a full-time covid protocols officer uh-huh. who did a fantastic job her name is uh sharon merlo and she had the the hardest job on set basically and that was she kind of had to be the bad guy sometimes it's like you know make reminding people maintain your your distance from each other reminding people you gotta wash your hands uh put that mask on where are your goggles you need to put goggles on i'm sorry you guys are too close you know it, it, she made life hard for the department because she had to to yeah. keep us safe yeah, right. and um that's also a testament to the crews and to the crew and the, the actors everybody did it for each other yeah uh, i've said this a bunch of times and it's absolutely true the only reason we were successful in shooting season five and not losing a single day COVID was the fact that people followed the rules and we did it for each other. We did it to keep each other safe. And it was so we could keep working. There are a ton of people who couldn't work, a ton of people whose whose industries had completely shut down or had started up but there was an outbreak, so they got shut down again. You know, it wasn't just following the rules on set, it was following the rules offset. And that meant not, you know, having people over or extending your bubble to somebody outside keeping to yourselves and, and doing what everybody needed to do in order to, to uh, keep COVID at arm's length. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was a, probably one of the hardest things I'd ever have to do, but we did it. And that's a, such a huge accomplishment. I think in this day and age, uh, given that so many people weren't able to work and so many people have, have died right. from it too. I mean, like you take a step back and you go, Holy shit. All these people have not just got sick. Right. They've died. Yeah. So that put things into perspectives. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, the other thing, too, that that really struck me, like I've had a chance to preview three of the episodes, the first three in season five, and it doesn't it doesn't look any different than the other seasons. And, And honestly, like I was worried that, you know, the writers may have to come in and kind of retool things and, you know, simpler sets or or smaller casting or something. But like, you know, when, when you're in the store, there's still extras coming in and out and there was still a lot of location (laughs) shooting and just like, it didn't feel scaled down at all. And like that surprised me. Yeah. It's so funny too, because they actually were scaled down quite a bit (laughs) compared to what we would have had. And that's really, again, it just shows the ingenuity of uh, the production to maximize what ass- little assets that we had of this scale back. Like when you talk about the background performers in the store, <laughs> they're the same two background performers <laughs> uh, for the entire season. I didn't look so that closely, I guess. Back- <laughs> so. Yeah, and those two background performers were actually doubled as a stand-ins for the cast. Oh, wow. And so oh, it was Jonathan and Vivian. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they're often stand-ins for the cast. They go in and they, they're sort of like, when they're, when they're shaping the lights around uh, for a scene, they step in for the main cast so that we can we step off and, and sort of get, get processed and stuff like that. And so they would, they've been screened too. They're on set. They're wearing PPE goggles, everything. And so they're like, well, they've been screened. Let's we'll use them. We yeah. don't just won't yeah. show their faces, right? but right. we'll put on different disguises. And in fact, in, in one case, Vivian, 
she subbed in for Jean because Jean was, she was starting to feel sick. It was just a cold, but uh-huh. out of an abundance of caution, they sent Jean home. And so we had to rejuggle the schedule around and we actually shot a scene with Gene, like a, they shot my coverage of a scene where Gene was sort of in the foreground yeah. and they put yeah. Vivian in, in Gene's costume and shot <laughs> over her shoulder. Right? So stuff like that. It's just, you go, Oh my God. Um, it's amazing. And of course, if you're shooting outside too, it's a little bit easier in terms of getting more background performers in. Sure. Everybody has sure. a mask on until the camera's about to roll. Then they all take off their masks and hide them. <laughs> and they walk through and as soon as cut is called, everybody puts their masks back on and everybody sanitizes their hands. All the props get wiped down. Uh, it, it's it's a really really incredible thing to see. Yeah. Well, that like the the scenes in the parking lot, like you know, you, you get a a handicapped uh, sticker for the car. Uh, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, <laughs> but you know, there's there there's scenes with you and Gene in the car, and then there's scenes later where like you know you're interacting with the security guard. Yeah. And you see like people just coming and going from the store, and that it was like, yeah, how are they doing that without Matt? Like, obviously, it's all controlled, right? There, you're not. There's no public yeah. access during that kind of stuff. That's exactly, and and we do. I mean, there are members of the public there because the mall was open when we were shooting. Uh-huh. Now there were a lot less people there just because it was sort of a, we were still in the midst of a, a, a bit of a, a stay at home uh, advisory, but it's it just, people are warned. They say, Hey, look, we're shooting the, the show here. If somebody in the background had a mask on, we cut yeah. because we didn't want to have any sort of trace of COVID uh, or, or what was going on in the show because it was a conscious decision to not have COVID in the show. Yeah. Uh, we want yeah. teams to be an oasis and escape uh, from the pandemic because we're reminded of it everywhere else. So we didn't want Kim's to sort of to, to be part of that reminder. So, uh, yeah, it, it just took a little extra work to, to get that done. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I didn't know going into this season, like, if you guys would meet that storyline or not. Like, just d- yeah. does COVID happen? And it was nice watching it because, as you say, it was a nice reprieve and just feeling like, oh, yeah, like there's some normalcy yeah. and, you know, things feel normal. But it is kind of this like in Back to the Future terms, like a, like 2021A <laughs> happening or, or maybe we're in maybe we're in 2021A, and you know, the Kim family's in yeah. normal 2021. But like did if that ever was a consideration or even just like in your own head. Did you ever imagine, like, how would the family or how would APA feel or, or react if, if they were living through the same pandemic we all are? Well, I think it would have been a thing. I, I, I remember a fan on Twitter sort of postulated, well, you know, I, I, I saw an episode where, you know, during the pandemic and APA doesn't want to wear a mask and he's <laughs> going to be all belligerent and this and that. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, no, he wouldn't. He, he would totally wear a mask because yeah. they're yeah. from Korea. That's mask wearing in Asian culture is nothing. Sure. You put on a mask and again, it's, it doesn't have the stigma as it does here. And wearing a mask isn't the sign of weakness. You wear a mask for, uh, as a courtesy for other people. Yeah. It's something you do when you're sick usually, right? You're, you're trying not to spread it. Exactly. And that's, that's the biggest thing in Asia is you wear a mask as a courtesy for others. You're protecting others. And here in North America, it's like, Oh no, you put on a mask to protect yourself. Yeah. And that's a, it's a very subtle, but it's, it's a seismic shift in terms of mentality. I think that's why people get mad. It's like, I don't need a mask to protect myself. It's like, well, no, ding dong. You're wearing it to protect other people because right. you might have it. You might not know you have it. You don't want to spread it around. And like, if you were sick, think about it. Doctors aren't sick when they're operating on people. 
but they wear masks. It's mm. because they're protecting the ones that they're operating on from their germ. Right. It's that sort of way of thinking about it. And I think if the Kims were you're in a pandemic situation, if, if they let that bleed in, what would the storylines be? Well, it's an Asian family. And hey, there's a lot of hatred towards Asians right now because sure. of Donald Trump calling it the, 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 the Chinese flu. Yep which is so racist and so wrong too, because they're, they're saying now it, it, you know, the ground zero wasn't in China. Like there's actually some, I, I think I read somewhere it was in Europe, but he doesn't call it, he doesn't call it the European flu. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's stuff like that. So the, the rise of anti-Asian sentiment has been up there. And it's like, you look at the types of stories that was spin out from that. And Kim's has always had heart has always, you know, sort of broached, certain topics that might be a bit verboten. I mean, there was a, there was a, a cold open where we had a, a, a non-gendered uh, individual in the store. And you, we touch upon that. Yep. The, the first episode, the, you know, um, the gay discount, <laughs> right. we touch yeah. upon deeper issues and stuff, but always sort of done in, in a very gentle way. And I think, if we were to do that, I mean, again, it would, it would have to center around that kind of storyline and how the Kims would deal with that in a way. But we've touched on racism before in the show. I've done that, and you kind of go, okay, well, if you're going to go for it, you're going to go all in. Yeah. And I think there is the fatigue is real, and people want Kims to be an escape, and I, don't, I think either way that you go with it, it's a difficult thing yeah. you know, to, to deal yeah. with a subject matter like that, because it is, it's very sensitive. And I'm sure there's, there's members of the Asian community who are like yeah we need to deal with this head on and there's a social responsibility that you feel as a cast or as writers to kind of go you know what this is something that maybe perhaps we should deal with but then that means we need to acknowledge that covid is you know is is a part of the show and and that's a decision i think they made earlier on that we're not going to let covid touch the show we do want it to be a show where people can escape yeah. And so that, you know, I think that's the direction that the show went ultimately. But uh, I, I think it would have been interesting for sure. Uh, but it would have been a different kind of show yeah. uh, had, had touched upon that, the, those issues. You know, the other thing that comes to mind is just the small business struggles of, you know, having a small family run shop. And, you know, small businesses yeah. have struggled so much during this time. That would have been maybe an interesting thing to play with as well as sort of like, you know, how do they how do they weather this storm? Did they have enough money saved, you know? Or enough regular yeah. customers coming in, just all that. But uh, yeah, well, I, I think uh, absolutely the the convenience stores would have thrived just because like the big box stores are closed, mm, right? And right. Uh, or or some of them had to close down. Now now they're all just it's a free for all. It's like ah, essential services here in Ontario. It's been all non essential businesses have to shut down, but so many stores are still allowed to have curbside pickup. Yeah. So it's yep. like okay, so you're saying that they're shut down. But they're still allowed to people are still allowed to buy from them as long as stores, you know, curbside pickup. It's this weird balance of public health versus the economy. Right. And it's here in Ontario. They've been waffling back and forth between the two. There's been no firm sort of like, okay, everything is shut down except for grocery stores. And everybody, all these other businesses, they're going to get a subsidy to stay afloat. Yeah. There's been none of that. So it's like this weird sort of thing. But these convenience stores have actually been doing quite well because they're small enough. People in the neighborhoods keep going to them anyways because yeah. it's yeah. a quick in and out. Put on your mask, grab what you want, and go. I mean, that's the whole nature of a convenience store is you're not going to spend 
10, 15 minutes shopping in there like you would at a supermarket, right? It's in and out. Grab your smokes, grab your drink, grab your candy, grab your chips, grab the kitty litter, grab whatever, and then and leave, right? So I think Kim's actually would have done quite, the convenience stores are doing quite well. <laughs> They'd be <breaking> it in. <laughs> yeah, the restaurants, not so much. So yeah. like Mr. Meta's yeah. restaurant would be decimating type right. thing, right? Same right. with Mr. Chin. They would they would be going through a lot of, of, of difficulties. But yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, and just talking about some of those other side characters, you know, like I have family in Toronto and I love going up there because it's one of the most diverse cities. I mean, like such a wide spectrum of people from all over the world. And, you know, I, I guess I'm just curious sort of your experience, because as an American, like I grew up with the concept of the American dream and like people come yeah. to, to the U.S. from all over the world. And, you know, that's that's what people aspire to. But I'm just curious, like for you, you, you were born in Korea and then moved to Canada very young, like the, the Canadian dream. Why is that not talked about as much? Or why why do I think as an American that we have a hold on, <laughs> on immigration when clearly it's not the case no. when I look north of the border? Yeah, no, you know, I, I don't think I, I think what it is, is it's it's like America has an incredible has an incredible means of telling, getting their stories told uh -huh. of, of being out there. Like the entertainment industry in America, the media in America is so powerful. It, it's like the competition for eyeballs is fierce there. Right. And so the amount of money that's put into the entertainment industry and the media in general, in North America far outstrips anywhere else in the world. I mean, you talk about Hollywood movie studios alone, the TV networks, like they're massive powerhouses sure. and the, yeah. the amount of content that America produces and, and the output of stuff. I mean, the, the shows I remember growing up to see uh, when I was a kid were mostly American, right? Like the Canadian stuff just couldn't compete on a dollar for dollar basis because yeah. the funding wasn't there. The government funded sort of public broadcaster or the types of shows that the budgets just couldn't compete with the American shows. And so um, the production values had always been uh, so far ahead of, of our domestic production i mean it, it the, the gap is is narrowing now as, as and as the globe is shrunk as as internet and ways of producing special effects or or this or that like the, the margins are way narrower now and so the competition has increased as you know time has gone on and sure. so you know america has always been like you know land of the free home of the brave that message has gone out there it's, it's like the democracy is first and foremost and and the american way truth and justice right yeah. and you hear that you hear that echoed throughout canada and canada has always kind of been like the the younger kid brother sort of stuck in the shadow <laughs> of his older brother right yeah. <laughs> his own skills and, and stuff like that but it's like the big brother gets all the spotlight and so you know being being in canada too it is yeah we're, we're a country that's built up on immigrants but also we're part of a like we were part of the british commonwealth and they're they're very reserved and quiet, yep. <laughs> sort of, you know, not as brash as, as the Americans or as outgoing. But I, I think at the end of the day, really, what it is, what it comes down to is like the immigrant dream is something that isn't just an American thing. Right. It, it's every country in the world has immigrants. Sure. Every country has stories of people who moved away from their homelands to try to make a better life for themselves and their children in a land that has opportunity and America isn't the only place that had opportunities to just, these are the stories that we heard the most about because the media was so strong. Yeah. And I think yeah. at the core essence of it, I think that's why Kim's resonates so much all, all around the world because there are immigrants everywhere and the struggle of leaving your homeland and raising your kids in a foreign land 
and still having the same familial problems that you would anywhere else, people see that yeah. and they recognize yeah. that in themselves. That the whole idea of the immigrant struggle is, I mean, America was built on immigrants, right? Immigration. That's, that's, you look at the Statue of Liberty where it says, give us your, your poor, your wretched, your whatever. Um, and the, the, the idea of coming here, working hard, building a new future, just because that's, that's what America was. And in a sense too, that's what Canada was. Like these were, this was the new world yeah. when it was settled, right? Like came and it, it is that journey of, of pulling up stakes and trying to go someplace where there's more opportunity. Uh, and America was the sexiest by far to, to, to try to get that opportunity. But uh, that's not to say that other countries in the world, like I had an aunt who she immigrated to Germany and still lives in Germany. Yeah. Right. And has a family out there and she followed her dream and her opportunity was there. Yeah. Uh, my family came to Canada um, instead of America because my aunt came here first and said, oh, you've got to come here. <laughs> you know, the opportunities are great. And so that's why we're here. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it could have been easily have been in America. Yeah, as well. Well, it's interesting, yeah, how that that immigrant experience is is so universal, and you know that that is one of the things that I like about Kim's too is that there's not only that tension of you know parents from another country and then kids uh, born in that country, but there's also the generational piece. And like we, my wife and I were just trying to think of like, are there other shows that really deal with like the parents and like kids in their early twenties phase? And, you know, Shit's Creek comes to mind, I guess, but there's not many others, you know, like uh, yeah. it, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and sometimes, you know, the differences between the characters, it's unclear how much is cultural and how much is generational, which I really like. Yeah, that's the lovely thing. Kim's kind of normalizes uh, an immigrant family and kind of shows that, hey, I had a, the same argument with my parents over this. Maybe it is a generational thing instead of a cultural thing, right? Yeah, like right. you put your finger right on it. It's just like. Oh, okay. It's not a cultural thing. This is like, it's basically you're old and you're stuck. In way of I, I, you know, we're more modern and more open about stuff. Like we understand the world a little bit better or, you know, it, it, and I think it is that. And I think, again, that it speaks to the universality of the show. And it is so relatable on all those different levels. And, and part of it is cultural too. I mean, absolutely. That, that has a flavor to it that adds to it, but, Again, I, I would venture that a lot of it is generational as well. Yeah, right. And that's why it's like it, family is family. It doesn't matter where you come from. Your dad can be a stubborn idiot. Your mom can be <laughs> overprotective and, and like pushing you and stuff. And it's like, and it doesn't matter what culture you're from. That's kind of what parents do. Right. right. Uh, I think that's and it's a lovely thing. Uh, well, let's talk about your other kind of big project during this time, and that was The Mandalorian. You know, I, I follow you on Twitter, <laughs> and it was just, like, incredible to see, like, when oh, that man. show went live and just people starting to recognize you and being like, wait a second, I know that guy. <laughs> like, can you just – I'm sure you've told this story a lot, but, like, how did that come to be? Yeah, it was all – you know, Kim's convenience, I swear to God, has been such an incredible boon for my career. Yeah. And it's given me so many opportunities that I never would have had without it. I mean, before Kim's, I was I was a very prolific actor, but I was playing a lot of really small roles, like support, like little walk-on bit parts, expositionary parts. Yep. Um, nothing really substantive or anything that really drove the narrative until Kim's. And, and I was finally given an opportunity to sort of show the craft that, that I have as an actor. And I think that's every actor's dream is to just sort of get that opportunity to show people what they're capable of doing with the right part. And that being said, it was just like, 
you know, I'll have in 20, 2018, the cast of Kim's Convenience, we got invited to uh, Los Angeles to attend the uh, Unforgettable Gala. And basically what the Unforgettable Gala is, is a celebration of Asian artists in the media uh, in the States. And so we flew down there. It was my first time ever in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, it was pretty exciting. We were there. And what happened was while we were at the gala, this woman jumped in front of me who I hadn't seen in like 25 years. And she said, hey, Paul, do you remember me? And I said, of course, I remember you. It was my old friend, Deborah Chow, uh-huh. who I've worked together with at um, Factory Theater in Toronto way back when I was just out of theater school and she was trying to get into film school. And so she, Deborah, for those of you who don't know, um, was actually a, a director on uh, season one of The Mandalorian. So it turns out, you know, she, she drops that, that bomb on me. I'm like, oh my God, that's fantastic. And yeah. she says that Dave Filoni, who is the executive producer of, on one of the executive producers on on The Mandalorian uh, is a fan of Kim's Convenience. And he'd been uh, thinking about writing a part for me. Wow. And so that blew me away right there. Yeah, it was incredible. Like Dave's wife, and she got him onto the show Uh and he enjoyed it. He enjoyed my performance in it. And so it was just like, it's an incredible thing um, because I think Anne and Dave are both huge proponents of, of representation and inclusivity and diversity and, and how that really makes a difference and it matters. Sure. And so they, you know, he puts his money where his mouth is. They, they does that. You know, that said, he's trying to write this for you. And I'm like, get out. She's like, no, he is. And I said, you do realize I'm like a huge star Wars nerd. And I, I had my own costume. Yeah. Right. She's like, get yeah. out. So I show her my, my Instagram page with all my cosplay in it. And she sent it over to Dave and he's like, Oh my God, he could just show up on set. <laughs> costumes. And that kind of got the ball rolling. I got invited to the set uh, to do a set visit in season one, just to, to watch my friend work and to yeah. meet Dave. Wow. And uh, that I felt like, you know, Charlie in, in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Going in there and I've seen all these secrets. I saw baby Yoda before anybody else wow. uh, knew about yeah. it. It was incredible. And got to see my friend direct an episode and, you know, had dinner with Dave, got a tour of the, the costume department, the props department, the wow. sets. Got to see the cutting edge technology. Yeah, it was just like, I, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Yeah. I mean, for you, like doing cosplay and stuff, it, like building your own props and, and costumes and stuff, like that just, that must have been the coolest thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're allowed firsthand access to this stuff, like I saw in the wardrobe department, for example, there's a, there's a bunch of Facebook groups that I'm on, and there, a lot of them are costume specific. And I remember one in particular, it's the Rebel Fleet Trooper. And what color are the pants? And there's this debate online. No, they're dark gray. No, they're light blue. They're, like this whole spectrum. <laughs> and like the argument of, well, under certain, like they're actually this color, but under the lights, they look a different color and blah, blah, blah. And it goes back and forth. And there's a debate. What color are the actual pants? And I was in the wardrobe department. I'm looking at this whole rack of these pants. And the answer was, they're all of those colors. <laughs> it went from <laughs> a spectrum of dark gray to a light grayish blue and it was this it was hilarious because i thought well of course because you know these came from uh rogue one and they have to outfit hundreds of background performers and they're not going to be able to get the same colored pants for all of them but it doesn't matter because they're in the background and (laughs) as long as they're close it's good enough and it's funny because i thought I should take a picture and I should just settle this debate once and for all for this particular group. But then I thought, well, A, I wasn't allowed to take pictures. 
going to come back there. But B, it's like that wouldn't have solved it. People would have argued and done, well, what do you know? You don't know this. Like sometimes people like to argue just to be right sure. instead of for the truth. And it, it would have been funny because I think it just would have opened up a whole other can of worms. But for me, I was like, okay, I know the truth about this. And now, and because I'm, I'm working on a Rebel Fleet Trooper cosplay now, I'm like, okay, well, I don't have to worry too much about it being slavish to, to the exact color hue <laughs> of the band. You've got a spectrum now. Exactly. So it's, it's stuff like that, which is just like, oh my, as a fan, it's invaluable as a cosplayer right. to be able to see stuff like that. And, and that reflected too, because when I did get asked to be on the show and I was getting outfitted for the Rebel pilot costume, I mean, I've told this story and it's out there. It's just like the, the two wardrobe uh, people, because they had, they had built the, uh, the flight suit from scratch for me based on measurements. So it was oh, awesome. Yeah. They were trying to put together all the gack. So it's like the flak jacket, the chest box, there's a hose, um, there's a, an ejection harness, there are boots, there's leg flares around the boot, all these different different things. And, and they're building them from scratch, basically, putting them together. And they're having difficulty with the ejection harness. They didn't know how to construct it so it looked like it did in this reference photo that they had. You know, it, it was one of these things where after fussing around, I, I, you know, I made an offer and I said, hey, look, guys, like, I, I don't want to overstep, but... I've actually built this costume at home and I have it <laughs> and I have meticulously curated photos of how this, this ejection harness is not only put together, but how it's attached to the costume. Do you want to use those for your reference? And you're like, Oh yes, please. <laughs> and so that awesome. was really cool. So as a cosplayer to like use the knowledge that I got from all these other cosplayers and to use that to help these trained professionals was an amazing sort of full circle uh, event, yeah. which was great. Yeah, it's it's stuff like that that is just, when are you ever going to get the chance to do that in real life? Well, it's weird, too, because I feel like with, you know, Star Wars in particular, but there's different fandoms, too. You know, like, I'm a big Disney fan. I like going to the theme parks and that kind of stuff. And, like, right. there are definitely times where the fans know more than the people, like, the people that do the jobs. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> they just got hired because it was an available job and they had the right experience. Like, they're not... They're yeah. not nearly as into it. You know, you're like, well, the rebel flight suit should be like, what's a rebel? Fl I'm just going off the picture, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it, exactly. it is, it's so yeah. cool that like you can just get in there and be like, no, how about this? And and that they were into it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a sign of a true professional is it's like they go and they go, okay, we're like, can you, how do we get this to work the best? Yeah. And to be open to that sort of collaboration is awesome. And that, that's why it, it's like, they, and it's so funny too, because they both, confess they're like don't tell anybody this but hey, we're both star trek fans <laughs> which was hilarious right and it's like that's cool like you know i mean and that's the assumption that everybody who works on that show has to be a huge fan right and a lot right. of them are sure but not everybody right yep. like sometimes it's like you said they're there because they're, they're trained professionals they're good at what they do and a lot of don't get me wrong a lot of the crew are huge fans of stores yeah. who work on the Mandalorian, yeah. but not everybody is like, that's not a prerequisite. Right. It's, can you yeah. do your job really, really well? Yes. All right, let's go. It's interesting. People's perception yeah. of, of how yeah. things work and how they, how they would want them to work. Because I think ideally you want everybody to be a super fan who's right. working on the show. Cause how could they not be super fans? Right. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask you too, just because, you know, I, I worked at this whole house for a long time. So, I, you know, like the maker stuff is, okay. is really like up my alley. <laughs> I'm just, I, I love that you yeah. you build your own costumes and props and that kind of stuff. Like, 
uh, you mentioned a little bit about noodling around in your basement. <laughs> you know, I've seen some of your YouTube <laughs> channel and stuff. Like, I'm just curious about you know your process when you're when you're building a costume. Like, what's actually involved in that, and how much are you actually kind of making yourself <laughs> from what? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny because the majority of my cosplay has actually come from. I mean, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, so I will buy a helmet kits or armor kits from other oh, fabricators. Yeah. I don't actually get the ABS and build a buck and, and vacuum form the, the pieces. Uh, I wish I could, and that, that's a skill I really want to use uh, or learn to do, but I don't have any space and I don't have the time to devote to that. Yeah. So uh, I do, basically what happens is I'll get the, the idea, I'll look and I'll see a costume and go, oh, that's so cool. I, I, I'd like to build that. And then my research starts. And what I try to do is, is meticulous research and, and my due diligence in terms of who are the best vendors out there in terms of who's creating this stuff? Who's is the most screen accurate? I do a vetting process where I see where people have had, you know, how, how easy is it to, to put this kit together? Um, how much detail can you get into it? And the reputation of the, of the fabricator themselves as well. And I'll, and I'll go from there in terms of the soft goods. Sewing is a skill that I really, really want to learn. Uh, again, I just haven't had the time to devote to that. Yeah. So yeah. again, it's it's like who's who's producing the most screen accurate soft parts. Or lately with the Mandalorian, it's like the community is fantastic because they will go, oh, you know, like Steph's Imperial Outfitters, she's the one that made all the soft goods for <laughs> for the scout troopers, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, everybody wants to order from her because hers is screen accurate, right? And and, and that's the thing. But there are other had like little bits of soft goods too. The cosplay community is wonderful because you can go on a number of forums and they will have generously downloaded the patterns that they've, they've made or used uh, and they will give advice. So there's tons of build threads. You did like what kind of material you're looking for, how much of it to buy, you know, the mistakes they made when they're putting it together. And so like that's, I, I, I lean on that too, because part of the challenge is, is putting it together and I'm yeah. not skilled enough yeah. to fabricate from scratch, but I still don't want to buy it fully made and just sort of put it on. Right. right. Like there's right. still a level of getting that part of your brain working to, to sort of figure out, okay, how do I put this together and how do I make it the best I can and still make it unique as well to, to, to my own. Like, I don't want to be one of a thousand. I want a little tweak to it. So it's uniquely mine. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. those usually come in the form of mistakes that I've made. It's like, Oh, that's an extra hole there. I'll cover that one up. But only I know that, that <laughs> hole is there. That makes it uniquely mine type thing. Well, I, I want to close on asking, you know, it's related to, to the costuming and the cosplay, but also like, uh, you know, I've seen on your YouTube channel, like you're, you're a serious toy collector and stuff too, and have, you know, some really <laughs> unique pieces. But as you mentioned, you've got, you know, they're older now, I guess, but you have two kids. Like, what was yeah. that like with them growing up and just sort of you wanting to collect, you know, expensive collectible toys and them seeing them as you know no different than than a matchbox car or something that was a tough one to be honest yeah. uh it was great in the sense that they it was the perfect beard for me to get all that stuff yeah because my wife would be like what are you getting to go you know all this getting more toys for them it's like yes for the boys <laughs> i'm getting the toys for the boys yes uh, but that being said too like i still do believe uh a lot of stuff it's meant to be played with yep it's meant to be enjoyed and so I'm I'm what's known as an opener when it comes to collectibles. Yeah. I will buy it and I will take it out of the box and I'll play with it or I'll put it on display or I'll let my kids play with it. Much to my chagrin, like my youngest, for example, had this die cast metal 
Back to the Future, the, uh, the, the Time Machine DeLorean. Sure. You know, give to my, my youngest really wanted to play with it. I said, okay, just so you know, it's a collectible, not a toy. So yeah. you can play with it, but, it, you know, it's not meant to be played with. So some of it's fragile. So just, you know, play with it, but just don't be like throwing it off. Uh, you know, down the stairs of this or that. And he's like, yeah, 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 I'll be good. I'll be good. And I get it back. And steering wheel's busted and all this shit. You know, it's all, it's, it's racked. And right. I'm like, I thought I asked. And he says, mm, but they're kids, right? So what are you going to do? Yeah. So you take that. I and mean, it's just, but it, it's good too, because now that they're older, one of the things that I kind of like and I, I kind of cringe about too is they take good care of this stuff, but almost to the point of not being able to enjoy it. Mm. And that's, that's for me, it's like, uh, I've gone a little bit too far. It's like, no, no, enjoy that. Play yeah. with it, right? Like, if it breaks, it breaks. But it's like, this stuff is meant to be enjoyed. Right. Different people have different comfort zones on how to enjoy things. Some people, they enjoy it if it's mint in box with a protective sleeve over it and uh, kept out of UV light, <laughs> you know, and it's there. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of people say, well, it's for the resale value. And people can, you can clean up. You could resell that stuff and make a mint off of it but the majority of stuff that i have i'm like i don't think i'm ever going to sell this because i bought it because i wanted to enjoy it yeah and that's it and if there's ever a time where it's like mm, there's not enough room i like this and not it's not bringing me the same amount of enjoyment then i might consider selling it yeah but it, it's it's i think that's one of the things about collectibles everybody's got a different sort of take on it it's yeah. like fandom yeah. everybody has their own sort of levels of joy and comfort from it and that uniqueness i find endearing and uh it makes that much more special when you find somebody who shares those sort of same sensibilities with you all right there we go paul sin young lee i'm a huge fan of his work huge fan of kim's convenience seriously go check it out if you haven't seen it yet it is streaming on netflix and watch one episode you're gonna get hooked you're gonna like it if not what's the worst that happened you wasted 22 minutes like it's fun. <laughs> Go check it out. And The Mandalorian Season 2 is streaming on Disney Plus right now. Before I go, I want to let you guys know, I am going to be taking a little time off. I'm not sure how long yet, but I've got some other things that I want to focus on, some other projects. I've been going nonstop with this show since it started. This is episode 73. I've done two interviews a week, every single week since May, with the exception of Thanksgiving and Christmas. But yeah, I was hoping to take some time off at Christmas and had some other interviews come up. And it just feels like now is a good time. You know, I felt an urgency, certainly during the pandemic. And, you know, we are still not through that yet. But the, you know, the last months of the Trump administration as well, I felt like there were things I needed to say and that I couldn't let my foot off the gas for a minute because there was just so much going on in the world. And I feel like things are leveling off. You know, I feel like we are getting to a better place and this just feels like the right time to take a little time to, you know, focus on some other things and uh, focus on family and just think about what's next. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure when things will be back. I do still have the newsletter going and we'll probably keep that going for a while. So if you haven't signed up yet, go to heathrasella.com, click on newsletter, enter your email address, and you will get the newsletter in your inbox and you can also connect with me on social media anytime. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. So you can always find me there. If you haven't done it yet, hit subscribe in your podcast player. You can do it right now. And as soon as new episodes come back, uh, you will be the first to get them. So hit subscribe. There's also 72 past episodes you can go back and listen to. I'm sure you haven't heard them all. So go and take a listen. Go see what interests you. 
I've been documenting everybody's struggles and successes since the early days of this pandemic all across the entertainment and media space. So go take a listen to those. And uh, before I go, I just have to say a huge thank you to all you guys that have listened from the beginning or if you found me recently or if this is your first show. Thank you so much. Uh, It's been just so much fun getting a chance to talk to you guys and be in your ear twice a week. So I will be back soon. In the meantime, go enjoy some old shows, sign up for the newsletter, and we will talk soon. Stay safe, everybody.